Uh, the readings on your orders of service. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the wisdom of our hearts be close to you in all things, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was uh, preparing this, and it's a little two-parter, so do come back for more, I was wondering, well, what does character look like? And I, I started preparing this many, 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 many weeks ago. And in fact, it's based on a sermon I preached a very long time ago, which is my coded way of saying it's not written entirely just for you. But I wonder if you've ever experienced a truly effective motivational speaker in full flight and action. Because in a sense, for me, this passage from 2 Timothy could be a template for all motivational speakers across the world today. It's got five very clear points. They are the basis of much motivational speaking. A clarity of vision, focused purpose, contemporary illustrations from life. He gives three, farming, military engagement, and athletics. No politics allowed. Trust building, to believe in the speaker, to follow the speaker into a time of hardship. And then close in verse 13 by imparting sublime confidence. And so you leave pumped, ready to go, to change the world, to improve your life, and to speak positively to your inner self. Brilliant. Except this is St. Paul. And this is a motivational speaker with a deeper difference. He detours from the standardised script. He laces the power punches with references to suffering and his own imprisonment. Some people switch off. That it's the next person that really matters, not him. Oh, so it's not just about me. It's a time frame of eternity. Oh, that's difficult. And the source is not some self-actualization from within, but an utterly impossibility, completely beyond limits and reach, without divine involvement of Jesus Christ. The dead 
rise. And so gradually the motivational seminar room begins to whittle away, except for the few who remain. And we, in verse 7, who remain, we seek to reflect on what Paul is saying and seek insights for right now, today. The message isn't you're the winner and you will win. The message is you've got limits, there's a cost here, and this really matters. It is a motivation to a depth of character about what I'd like to describe to you as enduring faithfulness. And that's my offering to you, my friends, enduring faithfulness, to guide us and carry us through the hardest, toughest moments of life. It's not a character which, if I set it up as a comparison, ebbs and flows or stagnates due to circumstance or difficulty. Instead, it is forged in those times of tension and of hardship into a trait of deepest goodness as a Christ follower or as a common good human being. Because that's where this motivational speaker begins and ends, without himself, with Jesus Christ. So what does this bring to us? I just want to unpack a couple of things. The first is, it is a characteristic which guides us into our decision-making. That's verse 7. In the world of uh, perhaps monarchical plate-spinning that we often live in, how do we make good decisions? You make far more important decisions, and others of you support those in those decisions, than I ever will. So I don't deign to speak into that specifically to you. You know it too well. But let me give you an example from my own family, if I may. I have three sons, and we have a monarchical plate-spinning moment going on right now due to the World Cup. My eldest son, who is in social media, is about to go out with the England football team on their plane and be part of the England bubble. He really, really focuses on his camera. His camera is what matters. He absolutely loathes football. My middle son, who is an aspiring footballer, therefore deeply envies my eldest son because he loves football. My youngest son doesn't care about football or cameras, but he really does care about cultural engagement and new experiences. Therefore, he would love to be there for a different reason. One situation, yet three perspectives. Enduring faithfulness starts with finding out what the purpose is at the core of it and what matters most. And Paul says that is strengthened by Christ, relying on others with a time frame beyond anything you could imagine. I am sure there are many things that matter. And I suspect you as legislators, if you could, you would actually turn the sleep clock off in order to address more and more the things that matter. And so identifying the things that really matter most is a trait of enduring faithfulness. So my first thought from Paul and Timothy is good decision making. Uh, my second thought is very simply enduring faithfulness helps us to know who we can rely on. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and the problem with relying on others as I know as a vicar it is very complex. Some years ago I was working with a City of London police officer who had been through quite a crisis because they'd been to a particularly difficult uh, crash. And so I tried to open the conversation by simply opening what I thought was an easy question, which is, who did you tend to first? Priority of decision-making. 
And they said, oh, that's easy. And immediately they said, you don't go to the noisy people. You look for the person that's going silent. Because they are probably in the deepest shock and the closest to death. The less injured make more noise than the seriously injured. Now, Timothy probably knows that Paul is about to go silent. He's in prison under Nero's regime. Timothy knows to attend well and to pay attention. So we look for those we can rely on. Timothy is taking a lesson in trust from Paul in verse 12 and saying, you are faithful, therefore I will listen to you who are faithful, verse 13. And we see this often in the quietest of people. Proverbs 11, a person of understanding remains silent. So Timothy recognises that Paul's situation is where Timothy might therefore be heading himself. He might be leading the way. Paul's wisdom is being forged in living what he speaks of. And so he's become a mentor, a sage, and a guide worth listening to. And of course we know, many of us, that Paul's life is in an absolute mess. On one level, and he's going to pay for that with his life very soon. And yet he is confident, and quietly so. He's locked in, he's locked up, and he's wondering what's going to happen next. And yet he stays positive. And so it's about decision-making, it's about who can we rely on and trust, and looking to how they approach things. And then my third, third thought. Maybe this is the most important one to end on for me. It seems to me that what Paul and Timothy are engaging with in their internal dialogue is that deeply faithful characters point beyond me. They point beyond themselves because they understand the significance of time frames. Paul puts things in the most unlikely time frame possible. Forever. Eternity. Everlasting. I thought, how can I explain this? Well, last week I was in a little place called Storrington in West Sussex. There's a Roman Catholic movement there called the Chemin Neuf. And I was on a retreat day. And being on a Christian retreat day, as I walked in, I did not quite expect to walk in and see a video projector and the PowerPoint slides. But they were setting it up. And as they were setting the PowerPoint up, which was not loading, as they were turning the laptop on, which would not turn on, and I think many of us have experienced this moment of frustration, on the screen was simply the Acer image from the projector, and it said these words. Acer, explore beyond limits. Acer, explore beyond limits. Apparently it's Acer's tagline and has been since 2012. But what tickled me slightly, and it was, it was quite funny at the time, although nobody laughed, because we were on a Christian silent retreat, and it's hard to laugh in silence, was when one of the organisers leant over and spoke to the laptop as if it was a human being and told it off. And then with a degree of frustration that we all understand, grappling with the video projector, said, breaking the silence, it's frozen. I can't get beyond the limits screen. I sat there and I thought, we can get trapped in a cycle of our own limitations. 
But Acer created their image in 2012 to create what they described as an emotive brand identity connection for athletes who challenge themselves continually to become champions. Brilliant! Paul got there in AD 60. Athletes, military and farmers. They all know that endurance is crucial and that it requires something from beyond self. Athletes have an external finishing line, soldiers have a commander, farmers have the vagaries of the weather. And so Timothy and Paul tell us, ultimately, you and I, we answer to the beyond. Verse 1, Jesus Christ. How do I explain that? When I was a child, and Paul opens with the image of child, it's a language of love and kindness, I used to play the violin, and one day I was asked to play, or I was told to play the violin, in front of the entire school, and all parents, and it was terrifying. More terrifying than that. But my father was a foundation governor, and so he was sitting to the side, and as I went in, he knew how terrified I was. And he said to me, look over the people, look beyond the people, and look at me. You are playing your violin to me and for me alone. And that is what Paul is saying. Look beyond. Look beyond today, beyond self. There is a higher purpose which our Father in heaven is the centre of to be our driving focus, which releases us from the tyranny of believing that everything rests on me, that my time frame is the ultimate. I'm the vicar of a church. When I stand at the front of my village church and look at the back, some old sage decided in the 1930s to write a list of vicars boards. You see them in many churches, except this is written with each letter absolutely huge, deliberately so that the vicar at the front can see every name on the board. And it goes back to 1301 AD. And I sometimes stand and focus there like I focused on my earthly father. And I look at that board and it reminds me that one day I will be replaced. There is space for after me. And that I am part of something far bigger. And that I am faced with my own mortality. And that frees me to speak as I speak and do as I do. Where does that leave us? Well, I hope you see that enduring faithfulness is very important. It's not for the faint-hearted, but it helps with the plate spinning. It's not a motivational speech with a quick fix. but it's a message which echoes through the ages. Surely it enables us to recognise how to put first things first, Christ, to draw us towards others where we can be resourced and releases us into the time frame of eternity.